How did we get here? How did we get here? That's the question that no doubt underlies all the fear and rancor and chaos of yesterday. As a white nationalist, insurrectionist mob breached our national capital to stop our duly elected congressional representatives from performing their duty to formally recognize the results of our most recent presidential election. How did a nation that projects itself to the world as the finest example of democratic values come so close to the kind of brute force coup d'etats that characterize nations that struggle to maintain continuity of governance or peaceful transitions of power. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined on a day when every American owes collective introspection about our nation, our culture, and yes, the path that has brought us to this stunning, harrowing low point. Even as the scene unfolded yesterday, amid the horror and the sadness that I felt, that question, how did we get here, was blaring in my mind. But in truth, so was the answer to that question. And it was blaring like a foghorn. One party in this nation, the Republican Party, has been gesturing toward and coddling this brand of traitorous, racist, and violent political expression for several decades. The responsibility, as much as it lies with the limited intellects who stormed the Capitol yesterday, sits in the lap of modern conservatism. I'm going to say that again. The responsibility for this sits in the lap of modern conservatism. It's a harsh assessment, yes. But it's true nonetheless. And bear with me a second here as I explain what I'm trying to say. We spent a lot of time on this show in the past year talking about the roots of inequality and racism in this country, the history that provides foundation for the things we see around us today. And what happened yesterday in Washington is a prime example of the way that past is prologue and that modern dynamics are built by historical inflection. When Ronald Reagan, the hero of the modern Republican Party, announced his candidacy for president in 1980, he didn't do it in California where he'd been governor and a popular actor. He didn't do it in Illinois, where he'd been born. No, he went to Neshoba County, Mississippi, a place whose significance in American history is bathed in shame. That's where the Mississippi burning murders of civil rights activists during the Freedom Summer in 1964 happened. That place in Mississippi is a shrine to violent white resistance. And it kicked off the campaign 
of the modern leader of the Republican Party. So as much as Reagan was touching off a, quote, new era of conservatism, he was nodding very forcefully, in fact, to the resentment and ignorance that has fueled America's deepest troubles since the beginning. It wasn't much noted at the time, and it sure did not attract the condemnations it should have from conservatives who should have known better who should have seen the trajectory that he was setting forth. But what Reagan did worked. His mixing of ideals of economic freedom and opportunity with tolerance for racial ignorance was a brand that brought high-minded conservative intellectualism together with enthusiasm for racial bigotry and a look-the-other-way attitude toward racial violence. And since that time, we've seen the GOP double and triple down on that alliance. The wink and nod approach that Reagan embraced during his campaign has morphed into a much more brazen embrace. Reagan himself invokes the image of the, quote, welfare queen, a repugnant racial stereotype in his arguments against the social safety net. George H.W. Bush's campaign destroys his 1988 opponent, Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis, in part through a vicious ad that blames Dukakis for a murder committed by Willie Horton, a black man he had paroled. And by the time Donald Trump, a man who came to national prominence falsely accusing five black boys of a heinous rape in New York Central Park, the bond between conservatism and racial resentment is like cement inside the Republican Party. By the time Donald Trump comes on the scene, that is the foundation on which conservative victories are won. Trump just strips all of the veneer away and now openly excuses and courts white nationalists. Yesterday, he refused to even condemn the insurrectionists who stormed the Capitol. And his daughter called them patriots on Twitter. So as much as the violence at the Capitol yesterday was shocking, it's hard to say with any transparency or honesty that it was much of a surprise. We have been headed this way for years. And the GOP has been driving the train. Now, that, of course, does not mean that all or even most Republicans are racists doesn't mean they all excuse or embrace violence. I and you all know good people who identify as conservatives or Republicans, and as much as I disagree with them on policy, I cherish their place in our republic and the ideals that we all share around its existence and its survival. But the decades-long trend of marrying conservatism with racial resentment highlights the responsibility that all conservatives and Republicans bear today for refusing to cleave the most awful instincts and actions from their political portfolios. It does say clearly that they have been willing to accept this ugliest element of American political life if it means maintaining power to execute the rest of their agenda. Even in the Georgia Senate runoff elections, we saw this naked and raw racism that fuels too much of the GOP. 
Republican Senator Kelly Leffler ran ads in which her campaign darkened the skin of Reverend Raphael Warnick, her black Democratic opponent. Senator David Perdue's campaign ran ads in which images of his Jewish Democratic opponent, John Ossoff, appeared with an elongated nose, a long, long-held Jewish stereotype. This is the playbook for far too much of Republican politics, and the resentment and anger it whips up boiled over yesterday in what we saw happen in the Capitol. The image that broke my heart yesterday the most was the one of a white man strolling through the Capitol that he broke into with a Confederate flag draped over his shoulder. The Confederate flag, symbol of the last white nationalist insurrection to challenge a much younger American democracy, a symbol that required four years of unimaginable bloodshed to put racial fascism down. The GOP has been courting implicitly and explicitly the arrogance, the ignorance of that man walking through one of the most cherished symbols of a democracy that survived that last insurrection with a symbol of, quote, heritage that celebrates the attempt to destroy our country. The only way to stop this is to reverse the dynamic. Reverse the dynamic. It was great that most Republican leaders condemned the attempted coup yesterday, but that's pretty easy when something like this happens. We need them to do it when it's harder. Do it in campaigns, even if it costs you votes. Do it in policy debates over legislation, even if it means compromise or maybe not amassing as much power as you'd like to have. Do it and call racism out by its name when it inspires an attack on the votes of millions of black Americans in one of the most consequential elections of our history. The stakes got raised yesterday. The existential threats to our republic driven by racial resentment manifested in an actual violent attempt to recast this nation's democracy as an open fraud, an oppressive, disenfranchising autocracy. None of the good people of these United States would willingly countenance that. What we need now is for our friends in the Republican Party to do their part in helping the rest of us push this brand of insurrectionism in all of its forms down for good.